Hi besties, welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is an advice Q&A sort of episode. I put a question box on my Instagram story, which I've never done before, but yeah, I put a question box on my Instagram story and asked what you guys needed advice on and what you wanted me to answer. And so that's what we're going to do today. That's what this episode is. So honestly, let's just jump straight into it because there were a lot of questions. So first one, how to set boundaries with the people around you. I think before you even know what the boundaries are, you should figure out somebody's intentions. Because I think when it comes to me personally setting boundaries, a lot of it comes from my own insecurities or my own bad experiences. And so the boundaries that I sometimes set are not boundaries that are needed. They're boundaries that I create out of fear. So I think if you are close enough with someone that you are like, okay, okay, this person's in my life now, they're going to stick around, I'm going to create specific boundaries that I need, try and figure out if they're boundaries that are actually essential and beneficiary to you. I don't even know if beneficiary is a word, it sounded a bit too formal coming out of my brain, but for example, like, if your boundary is that, you know, you are an introvert who needs people to understand that you like being alone sometimes and it's not personal, but you need them to respect that, by all means, like, set that boundary. But if you're creating a boundary that is just putting up walls around you to keep people out, maybe it's time to unpack that first and see why you're doing that. Once you've figured out people's intentions and figured out if you're comfortable around them, etc., etc., set boundaries by being aggressive, okay? And hear me out. I do not mean go punching walls and yelling at people, but if your boundaries are needed, you cannot go about it in a people-pleasing way, otherwise they won't be respected. Like, you need to enforce your boundaries in a way where it's like, I'm coming to the table with this, and if you won't respect that, I'm leaving this room right now. And so for me, a big way that I set boundaries is by having DMCs. If you don't know what DMCs are, it's just deep, meaningful conversations. And I'll be like, hey, I am comfortable enough with you now for me to explain to you why I need these boundaries set. This is the backstory to it. You don't owe anyone an explanation. This is just how I set boundaries. And I'm like, you know, I've been through this. I'm like this because of this. And these are the boundaries I require. If, you know, you don't understand them, then we can talk it out, but this is non-negotiable. Like, this is something that I have to do in order to stay sane and to feel safe. And if someone isn't going to respect your boundaries, then fuck them and walk away. Because there are so few things in this life that we actually have full control over and the people that are in our life is one of those things, I think. And you can control that by leaving the people who don't respect the boundaries that you set. So yeah, how to set boundaries. I'd say have that uncomfortable conversation. Be like, I love you, babe, but this is how things have to work. And if they don't respect it, that's a red flag. You don't need them in your life anymore. We keep it moving. The next person will respect your boundaries. Okay. How to enjoy being on your own sometimes. 
Now, this is a bit of a weird one because I personally love being alone. Like, I don't know, I just, I find myself the funniest bitch alive. I would like to spend a lot of time alone. But I can understand that some people don't. Um, I'm not very extroverted at all. So I'll never fully understand how people could just crave going out and socializing nonstop. But I think the first step to enjoying being alone is learning about yourself. And I think one way you can do that is by journaling or even talking to yourself in a mirror, like in a non-creepy way, but like unpacking things about yourself and figuring out what you actually like as a human being, because it's all well and good being alone, but if you're just laying there doing absolutely nothing, you're not gonna enjoy yourself, you know? But if you really like film, or if you really like music, or if you really like running, these are all things that you can do by yourself. You don't need somebody else to do those things with you. And if you enjoy those things, then when you do them alone, it kind of creates this like positive reinforcement. And so the things that you enjoy doing, you're doing when you're by yourself, and thus you enjoy the time that you're spending alone. Does that make sense? I hope so. Because I would always like sit at home and like try and do things that I thought everybody else did when they were alone. And it just wasn't for me. Like I don't draw. Like I have no artistic skills when it comes to drawing or painting or anything like that. And I would always try and sit down and be like, I'm going to draw a portrait. Bitch, you cannot draw. Why are you doing this? And then I would just get stressed about it. And then I'd be like, oh, fuck it. Like, I hate being alone, blah, blah, blah. But then I found things that I actually love doing. Like, I love reading. I love watching films. I love listening to podcasts. I really enjoy doing my skincare and, like, having a whole night dedicated to, like, a hair routine and a skincare routine and painting my nails and all these things. And so... I think a lot of it may come from self-love, but I also don't like the narrative that you have to love yourself 100% in order to enjoy being alone, because I don't think that's true. And I think for a lot of us, we live our whole life not loving ourselves 100%. And so it would be really ignorant to be like, well, you can't enjoy being alone if you don't love yourself, because there are a lot of people who enjoy being alone who don't fully love themselves. But love the things that you're going to do by yourself. So if you want to go and get coffee by yourself, go to a scenic part of the area that you live in or go to a coffee shop that you've seen on Instagram and you think it's really cool because then you start to associate your alone time with things that actually make you happy. And I think that's probably the best way to start enjoying your alone time is by doing things that make you happy. This is your life. You only get one of them. Don't spend any time doing things that don't make you happy. Okay, uh, when to decide if it's okay to move on from friendships. I think you know. I think you always know when it's okay to move on from friendships. And recently I have like moved on from two friendships in my life that I actually didn't think would ever come to an end. One of them was a situation where I personally just felt so neglected. And I pretended that I didn't feel that way because we had been friends for so long. But there is a point where I am not gonna be the backup plan to your boyfriend in any friendship. There is a point where I am going to have to stand my ground and say, this is actually not okay 
because there are things that a romantic relationship can give you that a platonic friendship can't give you and vice versa. And I think when a lot of people put their significant other over their friends in a way of like, oh, I'm literally going to completely forget the friendship that we had prior to me meeting this person, they simultaneously don't actually realize what they're doing. But at the end of the day, that's not my fault. There is only so much I can do as the other friend before I'm like giving so much of my energy to someone who literally doesn't give a fuck. So I was friends with this person for about 11 years, like really, really fucking close friends. Some may even say best friends. And we like started to drift apart, which was, you know, fine. People grow, people change. And then it just became a situation of like, well, you didn't message me and you did this and blah, blah, blah. And like these stupid little nitpicky arguments and like not speaking for ages, which is fine. I have best friends who I literally don't speak to for months on end. And then I see them and I'm like, oh my God, bitch, what's up? Like nothing ever changed. But in this specific situation, it was just like, this is intentional. Like this is childish now. And you know, they met my whole family and like a lot of people who know me know her. And like, we spent a lot of our lives growing up together, but it got to a point where I was like, I physically can't do this. Like being your friend is draining me because I deserve a lot more than what you're giving me. And even when our friendship came to an end and I like walked away from it, I knew that it had been a long time coming. And so that's what I mean when I say, I think you always know, because I think you do. I think it's whether or not you're going to act on it. And so you saying like when to decide if it's okay to move on from friendships, it's always okay to move on from friendships. Like some people think that breakups only happen in romantic relationships, but they definitely happen in platonic relationships a lot. And I think a lot more frequently than they do in romantic relationships. But it's not really gone about in the same way. Like no one says, oh yeah, like here's your six months to cry about it and drink wine and eat ice cream when you fall out with a friend. But you know, you break up with your boyfriend and everyone's like, oh my God, here's Taylor Swift's album. Like we're all here for you. It's the same. It's the same kind of pain. And it's the same process. Like a lot of people know it's coming. It's just when they decided to act on it. So I think if you're asking me when to decide if it's okay to move on from friendships, you know that it's time for you to move on from that friendship and you just have to do it. You just have to do it. It's not worth sticking around because it's just gonna damage you. Okay, somebody just responded to my Instagram question box with law. Like, no context, they just wrote law. And so, let's talk about it. So, if you don't know, if you're new here, if you haven't seen me crying on TikTok, I dropped out of university in the middle of a law degree. And I had spent my whole life wanting to be a lawyer. I really wanted to be a human rights barrister. And I did all my work experience to be a lawyer or like to get into law school. I did law summer schools. I read like every single book that law students are meant to read before they go to law school. I did it all. I was so hyper-focused on going. And then I got there and my brain became a different brain. Like, Law is a lot, and I never want to turn someone away from doing a law degree. Like, I'm not trying to change your perception of a law degree. And I think everybody knows how fucking difficult it is, but it is fucking difficult. Like, it is so time-consuming, and it can really... 
it can really make you feel like you're burning yourself out. And I think a lot of law students are burnt out because it's just so much. And you see other people who do different degrees not having the same amount of exams as you and not having the same amount of required reading and having so much more free time than you. And it's just like, what the fuck? Like, is it worth it? And I kind of got to this point where I was like, I'm not enjoying this subject anymore. We're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, there are so many different things happening in my life now compared to when I was 18 applying for university. And so I personally was just like, this isn't for me anymore, but I can always come back. And law is super interesting. And I really do think that it taught me a lot of skills that I will use outside of law. But nobody tells you just how much it takes. Like, people are always saying, it's so hard, law is so hard, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we get it. But, like, please go into the fact that there are nights where you will not sleep, not out of choice, but because the workload is so much. And there are required readings that you will never comprehend. I'm gonna say that right now. Like, you will never comprehend what the fuck that reading is saying. And you just have to go into an exam and write about it. And so... If you're going to do law and you're going to stick with it, good for you. Just make sure you're doing it because you want to. I think it's one of those degrees where you cannot just do it for the sake of doing it. You can't get a law degree to be like, oh, I'm getting a law degree because, you know, it's a well-respected degree. Yeah, it is, but you need some sort of drive and passion. And I completely lost my passion for it, which is sad because I do think on a non-academic level, I do still have such a big passion for law and like reform and justice and so many aspects that we covered in my law degree, but I just physically could not go back to university. And that's more than just my degree. It's like my mental health and the opportunities that then opened up for me in the pandemic and not wanting to go back to Sussex and live on a fucking farm because I am a city girl through and through and being in London for 18 months and like back home with my parents, as much as I, you know, would love to have my own place in London, that doesn't take away from the fact that I live in London and I love it here so much and everything is so convenient and all my like really close friends are here and uni just wasn't for me. And I think more than anything, it's like the University of Sussex wasn't for me. I do think if I went to university in London, things would have panned out very differently. And maybe I would have been graduated with a law degree by now, but that didn't happen. And so that's just how life is going right now. And honestly, I think I'm at the point of like the dropout era, I guess, where I fully accepted it. And I'm like, yeah, I dropped out of law school and it's okay that it wasn't for me because not everything is for everyone. And there are so many cool things that I'm doing now that I would have never been able to do if I was still doing a law degree. Maybe if I was doing a different degree, I could balance the two. But like I said, law is so fucking time consuming. Like there were weekends where like I couldn't even go home because the sheer workload just being so, so immense like didn't even allow for me to have an hour of travel to get back home. So yeah, I mean, I as I said, the person who asked the question didn't give any context to what they wanted me to talk about. But I, yeah, I'm not trying to make people think that law isn't fun. It's not a good degree. You don't learn a lot because you do. And 
some of the academic work that I am most proud of in my entire educational experience has come from my law degree. And I think it really pushed me to see perspectives that I probably never would have tried to open up to and like try to understand because you kind of have this perspective of ignorance before you take a law degree because you're ignorant in the sense of you know the laws of the place that you live and you are aware maybe of laws in other places but you don't know the direct impact in such depth and taking a law degree really showed me how fucked up the world is on such a deeper level. But also that's something else. Like I remember my mum would call me when I was at uni to just check that I was doing okay because she knew how intense law was and the type of topics that you cover. And I had multiple lectures and multiple seminars where they would be like trigger warning, like you do not have to come to this seminar if it's gonna be too much for you. This is what we're talking about. It's a very, very like touchy subject. And I think, especially if, you know, if you go to uni when you're 18, that can be a lot. It can be a lot for you to take on mentally. And I think it's similar to like method acting. There are so many actors. Off the top of my head, I can think of Amy Adams in Sharp Objects. And she was saying like, she went home with the character that she was playing and it just consumed her so much that she was like, carrying the weight and all the darkness of the character that she was playing. And I think it's very similar with a law degree. You know, sometimes I'd be like, why am I in such a dark mood right now? And I'm like, oh yeah, because I just had a lecture on something that is horrific and is still happening in the world and still prevalent. And you do carry that weight with you. And I remember when I did my law work experience, um, I did it at a human rights firm and it was two weeks. And honestly, I cried every single day because one, I was 17 and we were working specifically on a case um, in Thailand about this fucked up man who was ruining the lives of children. And it was just so heavy. It was so fucking heavy and you can't just shake stuff like that off. So you do need thick skin and you do need to learn how to separate yourself from what you're fighting for. But also you can't completely separate yourself from what you're fighting for because it has to come from a good place and it has to come with a true passion for what you're fighting for. It's a real difficult balance and I think that's something that they should also tell you before you go to law school, like that shit is heavy. That shit is heavy. Anyway, in line with school, somebody else said, how to keep up with school even though I'm struggling with my mental health. And this is like something that I have experienced for most of my life. And for a really long time, I didn't know that I was struggling with my mental health. And I was just like, why am I like so bad at school? Even though I wasn't, I was never bad academically. Like I always got good grades. Like I always handed in my homework, always did my coursework, always turned up to exams, blah, blah, blah. But if you've struggled with mental health whilst you're in education, you know that everything just feels so much more difficult. Everything just feels so much more tiring and you feel like there aren't enough hours in the day because being depressed is so time consuming. But I would say one thing that you should do is definitely reach out to someone in your school. And I hope that you have somebody in your school that you feel like you can reach out to. I got really lucky when I was in sixth form and I had 
the best politics teacher in the world who also happened to be my head of year. And she was really understanding of the fact that like I was just going through it and I was having a really difficult time outside of school, let alone like dealing with four A-levels or whatever. And she like made it a lot easier for me. And like when I felt like I couldn't come into school because I was so depressed, she would send work to my house and she was just an absolute angel. So if you can find someone in school, but if not, please reach out to somebody, even if they're not in your school, because I think you need to have at least one person who is going to keep you grounded and one person that will remind you that you can do this and it's going to be okay and that they've got your back because it's a struggle. It is a struggle. Like having your mental health cripple you whilst you're basically providing for other people in school, because that's how I see it, because it's like, you know, you have to hand in all these assignments and you have to turn up to other people's classes. And yes, you're doing it for you, but you are also doing it for other people. Like you you need that validation from external examiners. You need it from your teachers. You need all these things from the educational board in order to progress in life. And so you can feel like you're given so much of yourself to other people that you don't have time for yourself. But Saturday and Sunday, like take that time for you. Um, I used to really try and get all my schoolwork done on Monday to Friday. So on Saturday and Sunday, I could just sit in bed and do nothing. And I found that that really helped. Whenever I had to devote my weekends to homework or coursework or whatever, it was just too much. Like I felt like I had no time to even breathe. So yeah, those are probably the two things I would say. Reach out to someone and do your work the day you get it. Like, (laughs) the day you get it. But also, like, speak to a doctor, because maybe antidepressants could help you. Like, a big thing with being depressed is the lack of motivation you have, and then they prescribe you antidepressants to help with motivation. So that may be something that you want to consider, but definitely reach out to someone, because you aren't alone in that, and there are a lot of people in the world who are going through that, and so there will be someone who understands. This next one really resonated with the inner child in me, and this person asked, I want to be an actress, but I feel like I have to be academic. Should I go to drama school? I would say do it. If you are in a financial position where you can go to drama school, and you have this desire to be an actress, and you really believe in yourself, do it. You can go back to school whenever you want like, in terms of academic, like, quote-unquote academic school, because it's not going anywhere, like, universities will be there, sixth form and colleges will be there, they'll be there forever, you can come back to them whenever you want, if you do drama school and you realise you don't want to do that anymore, you can go to university, like, there are so many pathways you can take to get back into an academic way of life, but I think one thing that a lot of people regret is not following the dreams that they had when they were younger because I think that a lot of people's dreams when they're younger that came from their hobbies immediately get turned into something that they feel like they have to profit from. Like you can't dance if you're over 18 because you need to make money from it. Like why are you not going and auditioning for West End shows and why are you doing this? And honestly, like you can go to dance school or drama school and get your MFA or whatever and not pursue that career but you did it because you love it so much and now you have the certificate at the end of it to be like I did the damn thing and I'm proud of myself and I think if you're saying now like you want to go to drama school and you want to be an actress there is something inside of you that is so powerful that you know that that's what you want to do 
So give it a shot. Take a shot on yourself because nobody else will. Nobody else will. Everybody else will tell you that you should take the traditional routes. You should go to university and you should do this degree that's going to get you this job and it's going to make you this much money and you're going to live in a good house and you're going to have a good family and all this. If you want to go to drama school, do the damn thing. Because the only person that will have to live with the regret of not following their dreams is you. And that's a heavy burden to carry for the rest of your life. Knowing that you didn't give yourself a chance. Knowing that there was potential there that you let go to waste because you wanted to listen to everybody else. And as someone who always wanted to go to dance school, I always think about the fact that I never took a chance on myself to do that. I never let myself even dream of it. And the fact that you are dreaming of it and you're thinking about the options that you can take means that you are already doing so much better than I did. So keep going, keep pushing yourself, go and follow your dreams because they're your dreams for a fucking reason, okay? Also, if you become an actress and um, you work with Emily Blunt, please can you tell her that I would like to be her best friend? Thank you. Okay, next up, someone said, can you talk about failure? Yeah, I can, let's get into it. I think that failure is a fundamental part of growing. I think it's essential to figuring out that life won't break you because we all define failure extremely different to each other. So I would say like one moment I felt that I had failed was when I dropped out of uni. I thought I failed everybody around me. I thought I'd failed myself. I felt like I gave up on myself. I felt like the biggest failure I probably ever have in my life. And I really appreciate that feeling in a way because now I know that like validation from other people and everything else that I was kind of trying to live up to before I dropped out of uni wasn't worth what it was doing to me. And I let it change my perception of myself because when I dropped out, I was like, I'm a failure when I actually put myself first, which isn't failing, you know? And so even in things where there is like a direct failure, like an exam or something, those things teach you how to grow in life because you have to grow from that moment. The things that you feel when you feel as if you failed make you stronger and make you more prepared for what's to come because life does get more difficult. You know, people are always like, oh, it gets easier. Yeah, in ways, but you get stronger. Life doesn't really get easier. You get a lot stronger and you get stronger from failing. You get stronger from falling down and picking yourself back up and knowing that even the times that you failed didn't break you because you're still here. There will probably be a multitude of times in the future that I will feel like a failure again. And even since dropping out, um, I think I can talk about this. Well, I fucking hope I can talk about this. I don't have a management or anything, so no one can attack me for this. But I got offered a brand deal for a good amount of money, like uh, that that would have been something where I could have been like to my parents, hey, girl boss, breadwinner here. And it was to do with being a student. And then when I made a video about dropping out, they canceled the brand deal and like completely ghosted me. And I felt like a failure all over again. Cause I was like, fuck, I can't even do the job that I now have since I've dropped out of uni. And then I realized that actually I didn't want to do that brand deal anyway because it was causing me a lot of anxiety. And also 
if I did do that brand deal, I would have been contractually obliged to not do another brand deal that I did. And in the moment, it sucked. I felt like a failure all over again. I was like, I fucked up. I fucked up big time. And I spoke to my friend about it and she was like, why do you feel like a failure? And I was like, because it's all I had. And she was like, no, it's all you think you had, but you haven't explored other options. And there will be other options in which you fail, but there will also be other options where you realize you didn't fail. A door was closed in order for you to find another route. And I know I'm saying like, oh, you know, if you fail at this and you fail at that and failure is this, but deep down, I truly don't think that failure is a concept that exists. I think it's a word we've put to a definition, so we have a word to use. But I think more than anything, it's just a redirection. It's not failing. It's just a redirection. It's just life. It's just the universe showing you that there are other ways to get to the place that you need to be. And I say need to be rather than want to be because sometimes you don't know what you need. You think you know what you want. And so feel what you feel when you think that you failed. Feel the pain feel the tears, let yourself cry, let yourself be sad, let yourself be disappointed even, but know that there are other things that you are going to do in life that you are going to succeed at, and you're going to look back at those quote-unquote failures and be like, oh fuck, yeah, I needed that. I needed that. Whether you needed it to humble you, whether you needed it to know that you're strong enough to do it again, whether you needed it to teach you a lesson, you needed those moments where you felt as if you couldn't do something to know that you can, to know that you don't always need to do everything, but you can do some things and excel at them. So yeah, the feeling of failure sucks, but what comes after is pretty great. Okay, as a single bitch since the womb, I don't know how good my answer is going to be for this next question, but I'm going to give it my best shot. So someone said, being scared or uncomfortable of intimacy at the start of a relationship. And I can say in terms of platonic relationships, I am very scared to open up to people. I'm very walls up and people often like, oh, I didn't actually know who you really were until like a year into the friendship because I'm just like, oh, this bitch is going to leave me anyway. So what's the point of getting close? Which sucks. Need to work on it. I know. I'll tell a therapist, but that's how it is. But I think in terms of romantic relationships, which is what I assume this person is talking about, intimacy is a lot more than what you would show in a platonic relationship. And my sole reasoning for that being the fact that, you know, this person is probably going to see you naked. And I remember the first time I was like being intimate with a guy who I like knew it wasn't a hookup or like a one night stand or anything. Like we were friends and I was so like, so standoffish. And I was like, oh my God, like, don't look at me. This guy was going to blow my back out. And I was like, oh, don't look at my body, like, I'm insecure, blah, 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 and so from that experience, I kind of realized that, like, the fear of being intimate normally comes from something in your head, it normally comes from insecurity, or, like, a bad experience, or this desire to keep yourself closed off, because you're scared of being intimate, and you're scared of what intimacy can bring, it can bring someone loving you in ways that you may not have been loved before, it can bring about deep, deep emotions and connection to people that you might feel like you don't want or you're trying to prevent yourself from in order to keep yourself safe. So first and foremost, I would say break that down. Like, why do you feel that 
being intimate with someone is scary because it's truthfully one of the most beautiful things in the world. Like, even if you're being intimate on a one night stand with someone you're never going to see again or someone you're never gonna hook up with again, it's really beautiful. Like, being intimate with someone is a really beautiful human connection. And yes, it's scary because it may be new and it may be something that you're not used to, but walk into the fear of that. Walk into the fear of that and know that even if the things that you're scared of become a reality, you had that human connection with someone and that's pretty beautiful. But to overcome it, I would say, talk about the fact that you're scared of being intimate with the person that you're going to be intimate with. Because that can calm your nerves a lot. And that can be really beneficial to have that conversation with someone and let them tell you what they're thinking and you tell them what you're thinking. Because more often than not, a lot of fear comes from the things that are unknown and unsaid. We often get scared that someone doesn't love us because people aren't fucking talking about their emotions. Talk about those emotions. Have those conversations because it will ease your mind. If you know exactly what someone wants and what their intentions are with you, you will feel a lot calmer. And I think back to like being sexually intimate with someone, you you need a calm mind, okay? You need a calm mind. You cannot be overthinking the whole situation, otherwise you are not going to have fun, okay? So just express how you feel. If you're in this situation now where you're at the start of a relationship, I'm assuming you like this person enough to be in a relationship with them, which means that eventually that like may turn into love and this will be your person. And why should you hide anything from your person? I know that as humans, we will never fully know another human 100%. Even the person that you spend the rest of your life with, you will never know them completely, but you can love them completely in the stuff that you do know. And so if this is going to be that person that you love completely, be open with them. Be like, hey, I am honestly quite nervous about being intimate with you. And this is new and things that are new and unknown are scary to most people. And I would hope that they would be understanding enough to be like, oh, hey, like I feel this way too. Or, oh, hey, no need to worry. Or this is my experience. Or we can do this and we can take it slow or we can do whatever you want. Because your fears need to be respected because they are valid. Everything you feel is valid. And being scared of intimacy at the start of a relationship is something that many people feel. And whether it's romantic or platonic, it's scary to open up to people because it means that we have to let somebody in and we're so, like as humans, we're just so okay with not showing all sides of our emotions, which include what some people may perceive to be weakness. I think showing emotion is a massive strength, but some people would be like, oh, I don't want to be seen as weak because I vocalize the fact that I'm scared of this. You're not weak you're actually very fucking strong. So unpack it first, sit down with yourself, maybe get out a notebook and a pen and be like, these are the things that I am scared of, like the specifics of the intimacy that you're scared of, and then talk about it. And even if you don't talk about it with your significant other straight away, talk about it with a friend. I honestly love the conversations I have with like my girlfriends about the start of relationships or like the start of hooking up with someone or all these things because more often than not, you'll be reminded that you're not the only person that feels that way. And it's very normal to feel that way, but also you see how other people overcame it and what they did, and that can help too. 
So yeah, have that conversation, bae. Okay, so this next question I was originally not going to respond to on this podcast, but I'm gonna do it because it's a comment I get on all my fucking TikToks and some of my Instagram posts and like, it's a question that genuinely pisses me off. So someone said, why don't you have black friends? Let me start by saying this. I do not post every single part of my life online, okay? I post a lot of my life online, but I don't post all of it online. The people that I do post happen to be the people that I see every single day, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I have friends that I don't see every single day. And I, you know, if you're new here, hi, I'm obsessed with SoulCycle, but I go to SoulCycle every single day. A lot of my best friends I met at SoulCycle. As much as it does upset me sometimes, SoulCycle is a predominantly white space at least the one in London, is a predominantly white space. I think even out of the instructors, there are two instructors of colour. And the people that go there are predominantly white. The people that work there are predominantly white. And so that happens to be the circle that I'm in. That does not mean that I don't have black friends. It just means that the people that I'm with every single day that you see on my social media happen to be white. I hate this narrative that everyone well, not everyone actually, but a lot of people put on my TikTok of like, she's so whitewashed or like she doesn't know anything about her culture and she's not connected to her black side because I find it really belittling and degrading to the fact that I am one, half black, two, I know a lot about my culture and three, I do actually have friends of colour. So as much as I would like to rant about this to silence everybody who thinks that they know everything about me, I am not going to talk about this anymore because I know I have black friends. I know I have white friends. I know I have many friends of different races. Just because you see the same three people that I am best friends with, who I am with all the time, does not mean that you know every single friend in my life. You do not know the people that I surround myself with every couple of months. You do not know my friends that live in different countries you have seen the same three people on my Instagram and on my TikTok and assumed that that is a direct representation of every single person I know, and you are wrong. So that's all I'm saying on that. And since we're talking about SoulCycle, or I was talking about SoulCycle, the next question is about SoulCycle. So we're gonna get into it. Someone said, how you got into SoulCycle and how it's such a big part of your life and happiness. And there was also another question about how I made friends at Spin. So I'll do them both in one. So I was always that person who watched LA vloggers and listened to what they said about SoulCycle and they loved it. And I was so obsessed with it. And like, I would watch Emma Chamberlain's videos and like Gretchen Garrity's videos. I'm, I know she's not an LA vlogger, but that sort of like lifestyle content creator vibe. And I was so obsessed with the fact that they had this place that felt like home to them and they would spin. Like I'm such a cardio bitch. Like I love cardio. It's my favorite way to work out. And so I just wanted to try it. And they didn't have one in the UK. I don't even think at this point they had one in Canada. Um, but I would see it all over YouTube and I was just so, so in love with the idea of it. So I initially took a spin class at Cycle, which is another spin studio in London. They have them all over the city, like Mortimer Street, Shoreditch, they used to have one in Canary Wharf. And I went there looking for what people got at Soul Cycle, and I didn't find it. 
And I was actually having this conversation with an instructor the other day. And they were saying that's why SoulCycle had to come to London because there were so many other places trying to replicate it but not hitting the nail on the head. And so SoulCycle then announced that they were opening up in London, literally right next to my house. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going. And I was already signed up to their emails. Like I already had an account, even though I had never been before. I always got their like weekly newsletter or like their updates about different studios in the US, even though I'd never stepped foot in a SoulCycle studio before 2019. And then as soon as they opened, I was at uni. So I wasn't living in London at the time. So then when I came home after my exams, I took a spin class at SoulCycle. I took a Beyonce ride with Lauren and it fucking changed my life. Like I literally remember unclipping from that bike after class and knowing that I was never going to be the same person again. And yeah, I mean, it's been two and a half years now. I'm nearly at 500 rides and it's just my home. And I have met like some of my best friends there. And I was actually talking to one of my friends who I met at Seoul the other day. And we were saying like, it's genuinely the only place I feel at home. And I go there because of how it changes me. I go there because of how it makes me see myself and the things that it teaches me beyond my own body strength. It teaches me a lot about my emotional strength and my mental strength. And I have had some of my darkest days in that room. I have cried my heart out in that room. I have laughed harder than I've ever laughed before in that studio. Like that place is such a safe space for me. And so, I mean, it took me a couple of months to be completely vulnerable there. I remember I took Kendra's class, who is another instructor in London. And after her class, I was just like, I don't know why I'm crying. Like, I literally was like, that was such a fun playlist. She played a bunch of Beyonce songs and the song River, like very uplifting songs. And then the soulful song, which is like the sad moment song after you do Waits, was Rise Up. And I love that song so much. And I remember she was talking about how Soul Cycle has always been her home as someone who's moved around a lot and lived in different cities in the world. Like SoulCycle has always been the one place, despite what the location is, that's always been the place that she can call home. And I just started sobbing because I remember at that moment in time, I felt like I didn't have somewhere where I could call home. Besides like, you know, the four walls that I live in, that I could be like, that's my home, that's my safe space. And I just loved how much she spoke about it. And I started sobbing, but I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. Like, I don't feel that way. And then, after class, I was like, oh my god, like, thank you so much, and she was like, no, it's okay, and I was like, I really don't know why I'm crying, like, sorry, and she was like, no, like, this place does that to people, this place brings out things that you may not have been ready to address, but they're there, and you're feeling them, and yeah, that kind of opened up a whole, a whole, like, let's say year or so of me just crying in the dark room on a bike that doesn't go anywhere. Um, As for how I made friends there, so... I tend to just take two instructors now. I tried all the instructors and I think uh, anyone that goes to SoulCycle will understand you kind of just find the instructors that you vibe with the most. And I take Abby and Liv's classes now and they're like two of my closest friends now. Um, But I think when you 
are seeing people in such a vulnerable situation like that, you connect a lot quicker than you would if you were just to like make friends in any other environment. Like they put their life on that podium and you see so much of themselves that they may not show other people outside of that space. And you as a rider also connect to them and you show up for them and you give them your energy. And it is really a, a bond that can't really be explained unless you've experienced it. And so I remember, I think, I don't know, like a couple of months into me taking Liv's class, I just was like, hey, do you want to go out for coffee? Like, you know, we have the exact same music taste. We live really close to each other. Um, Like, you're so nice to me every single time I come here. Like, you don't have to go out for coffee with me if you don't want to, but let's go out for coffee. And then we did. And then it became like a kind of regular thing for us to do. And I mean, I've been to concerts with her I've been at like friends birthdays with her now so we just kind of became friends in the most natural way you can by like just I don't know asking to be buddies I don't know um and then with Abby it was kind of similar I actually took Abby's class for like a month before I took Liv's class for the first time but she was always super sweet to me And she had just moved to London from Canada and was always like talking about like finding friends here, blah, blah, blah. But I was always like super shy. So I was like, oh, I'm not gonna like throw myself at her and be like, hey, I'll be your friend. But I would always love to take her classes and always speak to her after class. And instructors will speak to you in the studio. Like they will speak to you, especially if you're a regular rider. And now that bitch is my family. Like she is my whole family. Like I adore her and like, I've spent so much of the past couple of months with her, even outside of the studio. But yeah, I don't know. It's just like with the instructors, I would say they became my friends just because we were so vulnerable around each other and it's such a unique type of relationship. With other riders, it kind of becomes like rude to not say anything, if that makes sense. Like there are specific regular riders that are in the exact same classes as you every single day. And so it gets to a point where you're just like, oh, hey, like, how are you? You know, and then you like follow each other on Instagram or whatever. And I'll give you two examples of some of the friendships that have formed at Soul Cycle. So my friend Eliza, who I adore, we used to take Liv's class at the exact same time slot every single day. Um, and I would always either ride behind her or next to her. And I remember one day I just went up to her and I was like, you are a fucking incredible writer, like go off. I don't know what it is about endorphins and like working out. They give me so much confidence. Like I, for about 10 minutes after I work out, I'm the most confident bitch in the world. But anyway, so I went up to her after class and I was like, you are an incredible writer. Like, hi, I'm Mary. Um, We're always in the same class, whatever. And then for a couple of weeks after that, it was just like, oh, like, hi, you're right. Oh, hi, blah, blah, blah. And then we always saw each other in Abby's class. So then we were just seeing each other more and like having more conversations. And now if she ever leaves my life, I will actually cry. Like I said this to her, I was like, you can't, you can't leave me now. Like we're besties for life. Like it's not, mm -mm, no, I'm not having it. So that's how that friendship started. I just told her that she was a really good writer, which she is. She's an incredible writer. I always tell her that she should become an instructor. Um, But then my other friendship at Soul Cycle, 
was with Noor, who I feel like this is a very unique way that we became friends. And like, this is not going to apply to everybody. But she actually watched my TikTok videos and came up to me and was like, oh my God, hey, like I watch your TikTok videos. And I was super shy because it was when I had just started TikTok. And so it's not like people were coming up to me on the street all the time, but she actually came up to me at SoulCycle and was like, I watch your videos. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. But it was also when SoulCycle was outside and we had to wear masks. So like, I didn't see her face. She didn't really see my face properly. Like, you know, there's a, a lack of emotion portrayed, but it was just kind of like, oh, okay, like, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And then we really didn't like see each other again. And then she commented on one of my videos, like, oh, I take Liv and Lauren's class. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. Like I take Liv's class. And like, sometimes I take Lauren's class. You've probably seen me around in the studio or in class, like come say, hey. So then we both took Liv's 6.30, I believe. And she came up to me and she was like, oh, hey, like I'm the one that commented on your video. And now she is literally one of my favorite people. And she, like, oh my God, I cannot imagine my life without her now. And she's been such a rock to me. And like, I remember once I was sobbing at SoulCycle, like I left class before the stretch, which I never do because I couldn't stop crying. And this was before we'd even become friends. And she messaged me on Instagram and was like, hey, like, I hope you're okay, blah, blah. And that's the thing about SoulCycle. Like the people there are so fucking nice. And um, yeah, and so now she's like one of my closest friends. I've literally spent probably every day for the past two weeks with her. And yeah, so like I said, that's a very unique way for us to meet because even though it was at SoulCycle, it was also kind of because of TikTok. But I'm so grateful for it. But for the person that asks like how you make friends at Spin, just speak to them. Like there is one situation where I'm like, oh, don't speak to me. And that's when guys like hit on you in spin classes or any workout class, because I don't know, maybe that's some people's vibe, but it's just not my vibe. Like I'm there to work on me. I'm really not trying to think about meeting a guy there. That's the only situation where I'm like, oh, please take your intention somewhere else. But any other situation, like anyone who wants to be friends, anyone who wants to talk to you, you're like-minded, like you're in that place for the same reason, just bite the bullet and make the friendship. Those are the best friendships in my life. I'm so, I owe that place everything. And so, yeah, that's two questions in one. And I think I spoke about SoulCycle for a bit too long there. This next question is literally my favorite question ever. This person asks, what do you do if the guy you're talking to doesn't drink oat milk? Is that a red flag? And now hear me out, it depends. As the oat milk leader, okay, you know, I love oat milk. However, it depends. If they drink cow's milk, red flag. If they drink almond milk, red flag. If they drink soya milk, red flag. However, if they drink cashew milk, if they drink hazelnut milk, if they drink coconut milk, if they drink tiger nut milk, that's not a red flag. That's taste, baby. That is taste. Obviously, we are striving for men who drink oat milk, but... I can let it slide if you're drinking the others. Just not cow's milk, almond milk, or soy milk. No, 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 no. Come on, it's 2021. It's nearly 2022. Why are you doing that to yourself? Almond milk tastes like trash. Soy milk, what the fuck is that? That is literally white water. And cow's milk, grow up. So I hope that answers your question. Those three are red flags. Everything else, we let it slide. We let it slide. We, we look for the oat milk men. But you know, this, this world is rough. This world is rough out here. Sometimes you can't get everything you want. And if he's a hazelnut milk man, or if he's a tiger nut milk man, fucking marry him, okay? 
marry him. But yeah, cow's milk, soy milk, almond milk. No, 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 no. That guy is going to break your heart. The others, they were raised well. Okay. Right. So some of these, actually most of these questions are advice questions, but one of them was what are my favorite books? And then multiple people were like, do a book talk episode, do blah, 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 like things about books. So we're going to get into it. My favorite book ever, 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 ever. I feel like this changes all the time, but currently right now it is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. It is. I'm sorry. I just love that book so much. However, I did read Daisy Jones and the Six and that nearly took that book's place. But I have to, I have to also share first place with um, Every Last Word by Tamara Island Stone. I know that I've spoken about these books before, but they are just the type of books that make you realize that some people just have galaxy brains. Like some authors really just have galaxy brains because how did you write that so well? Like how did I feel everything? How? So those are my three favorite books, uh, let's say. And then I love Beach Read by Emily Henry. It's a really easy, simple read. It's just like, you know, one of those books where it's not like the best book in the world, but it's a nice read. It's cute. I love a little romance book. So there we are. Um, I recently read Someone Who Will Love You in All Your Damaged Glory. And it's basically a book of short stories, which I'm not usually a big fan of, but it's just so interesting. And though I wouldn't say like, it's my favorite book I've ever read, would 110% recommend it to everybody. It was so, so interesting to read. And like, there were some moments I was like, what the fuck is this book talking about? And then you get to the end of the story and you're like, oh, life. And I just think that's so cool. And it's so well written and it's so funny and it's sad and it's real. And it's just, ugh, that was a good book. Um, what else? Oh, one book that I always go back to, it's not a novel. It's 101 Essays That Will Change The Way You Think. Um, it's one of those books that you kind of don't have to read in order. I know it's like set out like one to 101, but that's a book I always go to when I feel like I need advice, but I don't know what I need advice on. That book has got my back. Like there will be something there that just clicks in my brain and it's like, okay, you got this now. Go about life. An amazing, amazing read. And like I said, you don't have to read it in order, but if you do you will be called out in a roller coaster of emotions and ways. So be prepared. So I got quite a few questions about antidepressants. And so I do want to go into more depth, but I've actually been recording for an hour and a half and Gurley has a soul cycle class in a bit. So I am going to answer the rest of the questions in next week's episode. And so I can go into like full detail about my antidepressants without burning myself out in this episode. So love you besties. Thanks for listening.